Blessed Savior and King of Revival, we want to bless you for yet another morning, another day. We don't want to take this for granted, but we want to know that it's your grace at work in our lives to will and to obey, to sustain us with the major purpose of the fact that we shall continue glorifying you in every way, in everything, in every word that we speak. Father, we pray that we shall not lose focus in any way. As we live down here, we are created to honor you and glorify you. And we pray that, Lord, where we have, in one way or the other, lost the fervor, zeal, and fire of this very focus of our lives, you will help us to regain it and be revived and to be sustained in the same cause and call for which you've been appointed. We bless you, King of glory. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. 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 A blessed, wonderful morning, my dear friend, wherever you are picking this message from. My name is a, a Leverand David Kagwa, by the grace of God, that is reaching out unto you with this message at this very morning. If you are one that was raised, say, in the village, but even if it wasn't in the village, uh, it could have been town and you've used a fireplace to cook. Even if it's not a fireplace, a three-stone fireplace, you could possibly be uh, acquainted to using a charcoal stove. There are times a charcoal stove is going down and you need to reload more coal. You see, uh, you know, you, you need to reload more coal or charcoal. And then after some time, it blares once again in, uh, you know, a great fashion and you can cook whatever you have to cook but eventually at some point it will want to go down still it will want uh, to go down to be extinguished and then you load more fire likewise in our spiritual work we need at one point or the other to um fan the flame keep fanning the flame because we have many detractors and we have many things that work against our fellowship with the Lord and our, you know, our walk, a kind of quenching the fire. Uh, they, they kind of quench the fire. So you, you need to keep, you know, being filled. This is why you see the Lord goes ahead and he says, um, you, you know, and they were refilled with the Holy Spirit. And they were refilled with the Holy Spirit because there are many fire quenchers as we move, as we walk in our spiritual walk. So this morning we are here to complete uh, the teaching on um, the character of a revived person or the attributes of a revived person. We are here to address at uh, this uh, this very morning, my dear friend. Yesterday we looked at um, we looked at the character of a revived person and we looked at many things that you must have experienced the encounter. You must be word-centered. You must be spirit-centered, you know, and you're led of the spirit, and you must be a prayer-centered person. And today we are going to complete this teaching even as we go on uh, right now. And the very first attribute that you want to look at today is that a revived person or revival people are repentance-centered. They are people of repentance you know, their repentance centered. Um, one thing I love about Western Uganda, I, I don't know about now, but I've been there several times, and when you go to their conferences, uh, these are people that shall stand up boldly, and they're going to speak out openly, and they will say, Nkabani Shambana, Nkabani Nyomarwa, Ruwahanga, 
angire mbabazi yawe you see they go ahead and they tell you i was you know i i i, I fell into the scene of immorality i fell into the scene of you know this and the other and they come out openly and they speak about it and then they are good to go and they walk on and they march on and they go friend there is a very big you know um leprosy that is eating up the church in our generation why because people think a cross-section of people even within the church want to believe that repentance is no longer necessary but friend let me tell you we will never be perfected until the point of glorification when we are taken by the lord into our eternal glory that is when not a single trace of sin will ever be addressed in you but as long as we live down here on earth you can read Romans chapter 7, verse 15 onwards. Paul speaks of that and he cries about that. And I know that has been a subject of theological debate with some theologians arguing that uh, probably this was uh, before the days of Paul's uh, transformation. Uh, but let me tell you, going by all signs and the context of that scripture, it was after his transformation. Because before that, he didn't even have a single way of submitting to God. If we look at his, um, you know, bibliography and, um, and submission in Philippians chapter 3, he didn't have a way of humbling himself before God, before he came to him. But after he had come to him, he gets to a point and he says, Woe is me, for um." you know who saved me from this body of sin for what i want to do i do not do because it is found from me and what i don't want to do i end up doing why because it is close to me so friends we need to repent repentance basically means acknowledging a sin um you know confessing it and turning away from it you see and having yourself restored in a relationship with God. So you cannot tell me that there is any believer that doesn't need this. But let me give you um, scriptural perspective here. Let me first quote a very, very common one, and then uh, we will progress and uh, go and do other verses. Let me go to uh, Luke chapter 15 and verse 21. We are speaking of repentance as a mark of revived people or as a mark of spiritual uh, people, my dear friend, that's what we are looking at. Uh, Luke 15, 21. This is the story of the prodigal son. Uh, I want to believe it is very familiar with us. and um, But it brings out being familiar doesn't uh, quench his fire in any way. It remains the word of God. Verse 21, the Bible says, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son now you and me know that um, this is a parable and a parable is one um a story that carries one main um you know lesson it was a parable that was told of um you know a son that was wayward walked away from his father and required his inheritance and yet he wasn't the firstborn now going by what you call the law of primageucha among the jews he says that the firstborn gets a double portion and and then those others could uh, um, think of getting their portions but now in this parable uh this son who wasn't um a firstborn claims he wants his inheritance from the father which the father unhesitatingly gave unto him and he went and he squandered it but um in, in the process he remembers and reckons his family and says you know what now I'm here eating with swine or pigs, but my father's servants 
far much more better than I am. So I will arise and go back to my father and tell him, Lord, uh, Father, I have sinned against you, uh, you know, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. So here I am. Uh, friends, you know the story. It was a parable, and this is something that God basically applies to himself, him being the father and the wayward son being us, uh, sinners or former sinners per se, because I'm personally retired sinner. I have the righteousness of Christ, and so do you if you're born again. What happens is... Um, uh, the point is that this boy was so wayward he was too much of a sinner that is the image that he gives you but in verse 21 that we've just read he says i'll go back to my father and i will tell him and he goes right ahead and he tells him in that particular verse what is the point here the point is that god honors and respects repentance and before this boy even uttered out the word he had already welcomed him because god reads your heart friends as a revival person we must break down in repentance before the lord every single time that we sin or anything goes wrong let me tell you there are even sins of omission that we do not oftentimes um observe or acknowledge but we've committed them anyway or we failed i mean to do what god expects of us let, let me give you a very other powerful example in psalm uh, 51 in verse uh, 4 uh, when david is confessing before uh, the lord uh, it is said that this psalm and we actually know as theologians that this psalm was uh, written after uh, david penned it after he had messed uh, with um, uriah's wife or Bathsheba, for that matter but in uh, uh, verse 4 of that psalm he says against you you only have i sinned and done what is evil in your sight so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge you see that the difference between david and saul as i often say wasn't that david was ideally uh, sinless but the, it was a disposition of the heart of david when you look at first uh, samuel chapter 13 and verse 14 when uh, god speaks to samuel he says i have rejected saul and i've chosen david why he's a man after my own heart now that did not mean that david never committed any sin it didn't mean that at all but the disposition of david's heart david had a heart that was focused upon god a period even when he messed up he was fundamentally by you know in essence after the lord and this should be very encouraging unto our lives when he makes that prayer in a psalm that he writes in second samuel chapter 23 in verse 5 he goes right ahead and he says that it will grow you know in other words this that god has put upon me will grow and eventually this refers to the branch uh, who is the messiah you know david was essentially focused on god as a revival person you need to repent and god looks at that kind of heart the reason god rejected saul as we see in first uh, samuel chapter 15 when samuel came to him in verse 19 um samuel told him that you know he has disobeyed the lord and he has sinned against him saul incessantly denies and he says but i've obeyed the lord that is what god hates he really hates it beyond sin he really does because the grace of god is there it is provided for for you and then you deny it you deny it now there are many people that are born again yes but because of um 
a continued denial of a particular sin and not handling it or giving it the attention that it deserves, they live in pain. And they live in pain just like we see, uh, you know, David still uh, lamenting in Psalm, uh, in Psalm 32 when he speaks of um, a blessed um, is the one who is transgression are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin um, the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away um, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. You see, he tells you, virtually, this is a very painful picture that he's portraying here. And friends, let me tell you, for me, I lived in incessant sin at some point, a very deep sin. It is painful when you get into sin, especially if you know that you shouldn't be doing what you're doing, but you're somehow under its shackles and they're binding you and holding you. It somehow, you know, gets you into this uh, much pain. And uh, friends, that is why the Lord says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. And by the way, that verse is about sin; is not not about um, you know deliverance, like most people want to put it. Uh, probably that you're carrying a burden and you need to pray about it. No, that verse is about sin. In Matthew eleven twenty eight says, "Come unto me, all of you who labor in the heavy laden." And I'll give you rest. You see that? So you go to him and God gives you rest. As a revival person, you need to repent. Go before God and repent of your sin. Repentance, I've told you, means acknowledging that you've sinned, you know, acknowledging your sin, knowing that there's no other way that is going to save you. Two, three, confessing that sin. Four, turning it over to the Lord. And five, completely turning away from that way that you've been uh, living. So that is one, a revival person, a spiritual person, is a person that treasures repentance and does not wait on that sin. You repent there and then. Don't wait for the time that you pray. If you're lasting after a girl and you're driving and maybe you've gone to office, repent there and then. Because we said we are in a relationship, we encounter people, we move in a, a relationship with God, it's continuous. Why must you wait for the time that you pray to repent? It's continuous. We live with him in constant fellowship. You see, we abide in the Lord and he abides in us. So that's how things are handled. Um, the other character or attribute of revived people or spiritual people is uh, uh, the fact that um, they have a burden of the evil happening around them. They have a burden of the evil happening around them and they compare it with the will of God. You see, they have a burden of the evil around them and they compare it with the will of God. Uh, the best verse that I can find right now that uh, brings this out very, very well is Habakkuk uh, chapter 1 as Habakkuk goes uh, right ahead and he laments before the Lord about the sin, the incessant sin that was in Judah at that time. He calls out to God and he says, Lord, how long will I cry and you don't listen? How long will I cry out uh, that there is sin around and you do not save? You see, there is injustice and, uh, you, you know, the holy man is eaten up and yet you do not respond. Habakkuk was deeply hurt uh, because of the evil that Judah was experiencing in that time. A lot of injustice, a lot of idolatry, and he goes right ahead and he prays to the Lord, and he says, how long am I going to cry about this? Now, it wasn't enough for Habakkuk to walk in, um, you know, good standing with the Lord or a holy life. It wasn't enough for him when his countrymen, when his people 
uh, we are walking uh, waywardly from the Lord. We are walking the wrong way. Um, for him, he took it upon himself to, you know, cry before the Lord. And this is uh, this is the heart of an intercessor. This is what we need to do. He says in Abakuk 1, 2, how long? O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen. Oh, cry out to you, violence, but you don't save. Why do you make me look at iniquity? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. You see that? You can never settle um as a righteous man, as a person that is focused on the Lord, you should never settle because you're walking well while every single person is walking the wrong way around you. You shouldn't settle for this. This is the problem that we have even in the church today. Church leaders are going to look at people in church because one, they are influential. Two, they support the church probably with finances. They've given land to the church and they're walking in the wrong way. You know, they are going to uh, oftentimes, as pastors, as church leaders, we kind of <laughs> we kind of fall into mute mode. We are kind of muted and fear, you know, to castigate people that are walking the wrong way. Of course, if you do it in love, because this is what Paul teaches um, uh, to Timothy, and he says the goal of 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 our ministry is love with a sincere spirit. You talk to them in love, but still point out their evil and guide them because they will end up in eternal damnation if we don't. You, you, you see that? We should never settle when people that are around you are not walking the right way. Don't just attack them in a way that hurts them, but we should be concerned about them, about the fact that they are not walking the right way. You see, pastors, this concerns us, but also the rest of the people. And some of us have been called to pray about this kind of stuff, and we intercede and we say, Lord, no, we can't settle for this. Look at these days of lockdown that we've been experiencing. Look at the days when people, are, when our students are not going to school and they're messing up and many young ladies are getting pregnant. Is there a person that will arise and cry out before God and tell him, Lord, your people are dying, you know, sin is engulfing us. We cannot settle for this. If you want to know that you're a revival person, you're a revived person, you are a spiritual person, you have a burden for these people. Let me tell you, strictly speaking, we no longer have priests. Yes, I want to be particular about that. Biblically speaking, we no longer have priests. Why? Because the way to heaven has been opened uh, by the Lord. And that is why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see that? He is the only high priest that we have. Uh, you, you, you see? Christ Jesus. And ideally, he, he basically stands between us and God. And he has made a way. Now, the only form of priests that could be spoken of, but we are not priests in the Old Testament perspective, is what we see in First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, where he says, but we are a royal priesthood, a, a people of God, a royal nation, you know, appointed by God um, to declare his motherless uh, message to the world. How do we then stand as a form of priests, but not priests of the Old Testament? 
we have been appointed by God and we are saints of God in as far as 2 Corinthians 5.21 is concerned. And therefore our role is to reach out in the great commission to the world and draw them unto the Lord. Let them know him. That is how we stand as priests. In other words, every believer is a priest. We don't have priests in the Old Testament perspective. Every believer is a priest. Why? Because um, they lead people to the Lord. They lead heathens, you know, the carnal, the, the fallen people like we were to the Lord. That is what it is. A revived person cannot settle for less. I bless the Lord for people that are preaching the gospel all over in various forms, on the streets, on through social media. May the Lord bless you in this lockdown and um, in various ways. This is what God has called us to do. Don't settle when you see sin around you, when you see people walking the wrong way. Many believers are often saying, mm -hmm, after all, for me, I'm walking the right way. Ah, um, <laughs> those people, you see. But what, what if no one had talked to you? You know that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. What if no one had talked to you? How could you, um, I mean, how would you have known Christ? How would you have come to him? So if you want to judge whether you're a revived person, and go by how many people are you talking to about Christ? You pay for the Boda Boda guy. Why should he take your money and merely transport you without you sharing with him, you know, sharing Christ with him? You see that? Why must someone come to your office a full week and you've not shared anyone with Christ, with, with anyone about Christ? Why? In our homes, fathers, as church is closed right now, how can you go on a whole week and you're not praying with your people? So basically, if you're revived, you can't settle for less. You just cannot, um, you know, settle. You find yourself wanting to share with someone about Christ. Uh, that is very, very uh, important, very important. And that is why you see Christ in Matthew 9, 35, 38. He looks at the people that were unsettled, were all over, and uh, he had pity upon them because he says they were like a sheep without a shepherd. He was really concerned about them. And that is why he laid his life down uh, for us and for them in general. Uh, next, um, revived people or spiritual people are fearless in the spirit and they worry a little about their lives when fulfilling uh, the cause of God. You know, spiritual people are fearless in the spirit and they worry a little or they care uh, very little about their lives in as far as they fulfill uh, the uh, calling of the Lord upon their lives. The best example that I have uh, for that here is uh, in Acts chapter 20 in verse 25. I want you to see the change that Paul makes here in this regard. Uh, Acts chapter 20, this was before the Ephesian elders when he was bidding farewell to them and Paul knew that uh, he wasn't going to uh, see them anymore because he was led of the Spirit to know that when he finally goes into his last imprisonment in Rome, he wasn't quite going to get out uh, of that. Uh, um, Acts chapter 20 and verse uh, 20 says, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our God, in our Lord Jesus. And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. 
I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. But listen to this. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Friends, Paul knew that he was going to die and die at the hands of tormentors of the gospel, but he wasn't willing to give this up in any way. Friends, the moment we declare that we are people that love and follow Christ, we must not hold our lives in any way highly esteemed above uh, the gospel. This is why when the Lord is inviting people to follow him, Matthew 16, I think around verse 23, he says, if any man must follow me, let him do what? Carry his cross <laughs> and follow me. You know what that means? Among the Jews, the cross was a sign of death. What he actually means is that you must be ready to follow Christ to the point of death. But I told you that we have many Christians that are called Mama Nyabo, Mama Fude Christians. You see, every time we face danger or trial or challenge, we are busy crying and we want to quit. You see, Christianity is not for the faint-hearted. It is for people that are ready to follow Christ, even to the point of shedding blood, um, you know, uh, you know, losing their lives at the hands of their faith. But for many of us, when we are tested, you know, even before the point of <clears throat> Our lives being demanded. We quit. It is Mark uh, chapter 10, I think around verse 35, that goes right ahead and teaches and says, if anyone loves their daughter or son or wife or father more than me, that they are not worthy of being called my disciples, it is that serious. But these days, uh, we pastors are preaching and are telling you, you know what, it's going to get better for you. You're going to receive this. You're receiving it. You're getting that money. You're getting that car. Friends, that is not the Lord that I've known. I'm not insinuating anything here to the effect that God is not going to do good things in our lives. But I mean, who determines good? <laughs> who determines it? <laughs> you want to tell me that Christ's crucifixion was bad? Good is absolutely determined by the Lord and his will in our lives at a particular point. You see, never should you ever forget uh, the fact that we are creatures and we are meant uh, to glorify the Lord in every every way. Friends, I know that some of you may be listening to me and you're at crossroads right now in your life, but this is what you've gotten to understand. As long as you know that you're pursuing the will of God in your life, and um, that is what is leading you to suffering in one way or the other, just know that Christ set this example as we see in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. He was holy and perfect, sinless, but he suffered to set us free. And we've been called to the same walk, my dear friend. What is it that we're experiencing right now that uh, kind of makes it very hard for you or um, kind of demands your life? Uh, let me tell you and encourage you uh, at certain points we are going to have to some of us to lose our lives for the sake of the gospel in one way or the other. Uh, you see, uh, basically that is what it is. Uh, may the Lord empower and uphold you if you're experiencing that kind of uh, situation in your life. Next, um, this kind of people, revived people, are uh, people that um, 
are people that are driven by obedience to God, not man. You know, spiritual people or revived people are people that are driven by obedience um, uh, to God and not man. What do I mean by this? Now, there are times that people that have authority over you or that around you or that could simply convince you could possibly lead you into doing something that contravenes the will and word of God and his standard in your life. Now, we are saying in that kind of case, you are justified not to submit to man. But this has got to be done wisely and by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Um, the scripture that teaches that here very, very explicitly is um, uh, Acts chapter 4 and verse 18. Acts chapter 4 and verse 18 says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes? to listen to you or to him you be judges as for us we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard after further threats they let them go they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were raising were praising god for what had happened for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old you see that now, what happened was that uh, following on the healing that had happened in uh, Acts chapter 3 uh, in uh, um, Solomon's portico, uh, when uh, um, Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of uh, 3 to pray, um, many people got to see that God was actually at work. And it was evidently undeniable that God was somehow involved into this kind of stuff. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at that time who were against, um, you know, the, the, the church and the work of the Holy Spirit in it uh, arose because, you know, the fame and expansion of the church meant the waning of their influence and authority. And rightly so. Why? Because um, oftentimes men of their teachings contravened the right teaching of the Lord and therefore the salvation of the souls of men and the will and mission of God in the world to save man. So what happened was that they tried to arrest, actually they arrested the apostles and stopped them from preaching. But you know what that means? <laughs> You're telling a bird not to fly. What is its essence? You're telling an airplane you can't fly anymore. You're telling a pig you can't wallow in your mud. You just can't, you see? So there I basically sees in essence to be of purpose. You're telling a car you can't have an engine. And these men are saying, let it be known that we cannot stop to speak about what we've heard and seen. We cannot. For that, we really live. Eh? It was Martin Luther who said, I shall never recant. I will not recant, for to do so is neither right nor safe. <laughs> I love that quote. You see, Martin Luther, when he was told to recant or to give up his faith in Christ, you know, he was a, a, a monk. He was a Catholic, a Roman Catholic. The word Catholic means universal. The right word there is Roman Catholic. He was a Roman Catholic monk and he was told to, you know, renounce his faith in Christ that he had formed, especially by studying the book of Romans, the epistle to the Romans. Um, this is what Luther told them. 
He told them, I shall not recant, for to do so is neither right nor safe for me. <laughs> I love that. I really do. So friends, revival people are people that are not going to simply submit to man at the expense of their faith to God. Now, I'm not teaching disobedience here. I want you to know that obedience even to um, um, human government is ordained by God, especially if you go to um, Romans 13, 7, yes. But in all matters that are plausibly right and righteous, if it is not right, then you shouldn't submit. But how are you going to do this? It is a case-by-case case thing. The Spirit of God will lead you. This is what Christ told the disciples. They shall persecute you, but at such times, the Spirit of God will show you what to do or what to say. I'm reminded of um, um, the case of Shifra and Pua, two Hebrew midwives that were contracted by the Pharaoh to simply kill and annihilate an entire generation of children in Israel. Uh, in Egypt, or Jewish children in Egypt, infants. And you know what these women did? The Bible says because they feared the Lord. They did not do what Pharaoh asked them to do. And what did God do? He blessed them. And he blessed their households. So friends, look at what is before you. Oftentimes our bosses could end up telling us to do the wrong thing. Or your mother, or your father, our relatives, especially significant actors in our lives, people of influence. What are you going to do in those kind of situations? You know, your boss tells you to sleep around with him. Are you going to do that just because you you, you want the job? Just look at the case of Joseph in, in, in Egypt. You see, he tells, he categorically told um, Potiphar's wife in uh, Genesis chapter 39 and verse 9. And he said, <laughs> everything in this house has been laid under my hand. Eh? except you because you're my master's wife how then could i do such a thing against my god sin that is committed contrary to popular belief is primarily against god and then later on against yourself and against the others that are around you you see that this is why the writer of proverbs says uh, that uh, he who um, sins hurts himself and he who rejects me loves death so my friend um, what is it that you're facing right now? Is it, is it cheating? Uh, is it a racket at work and everyone wants to, to get you involved and then you're fearing? Is it um, your mother, your father leading you uh, the wrong way? Friend, you need to know that that kind of stuff is something that God would not support you to do, but will uh, eventually give you a way out if you find yourself um, between a rock and a hard place. I'll wind up today uh, finally uh, by observing that um, uh, these kind of people, uh, spiritual people, when they um, are one other thing that identifies who they are, uh, these kind of people operate uh, in the peace that God gives them. Um, uh, operate in in the love that god gives them they in other words they are full of the love of god and they operate on the basis of that love that surpasses everything i will show you a glorious glorious scripture in acts chapter 16 in verse 28 it is better to take it from around verse um i mean from around verse 6 but i don't have the time uh, to do that i'll just do verse 28 that says but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. Let me take it from 25 quickly. 
about midnight, Paul and Cyrus were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake uh, that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was able, was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. <laughs> divine, divine act here. Friend, you know that Paul and Cyrus had been imprisoned following uh, their face off with um, um, a very big crowd in Philippi. You know that in, in, uh, uh, in Philippi, uh, there was, you know, a great demonic strong, st stronghold of a spirit that operated through a python there um, that, uh, and there was um, a particular family that had a spiritual divination that was operating in a young girl. And uh, when this girl followed Paul uh, for some time, what happened there was that Paul was irritated and operating by the power of the Holy Spirit, meaning God intervening to exalt himself because there was confusion. This girl was claiming that these people were servants of the Most High God, which was true, but being um, a, a, a person that had a spirit of divination, she could easily have misled people in a town that had a strong presence of a powerful demonic spirit. He, she could easily have misled people that Paul and herself and therefore that spirit were one and the same. And that is why the Spirit of God swung into action. Um, what followed thereafter was that Paul was dragged uh, to, uh, you know, into judgment and was finally thrown into prison. Now, in the night, they were worshipping and singing to the Lord. We should teach us in every situation as revived people. We never give up. We keep trusting and worshipping the Lord and keeping our faith in him. Contrary to common belief that when things are hard, then God is not with you. Then just castigate him and give him up. So when he did that, the power of the Lord came down and simply set them free. But our point right here um, lies. When God set them free, they could easily have gone, but they saw the jailer, of course, in fear of uh, what was going to befall him by his bosses. He wanted to take his life. What does Paul say? All of us are here. Don't kill yourself. Are you hearing that? May God give us that kind of love. Revived people love even their enemies. They don't hate them. But friends, there are people who claim that we have an, you know, a deep revival in our generation, but I don't quite think we do. Why? Because in our day, you see pastor going after pastor, quarreling with the other, abusing and blackmailing the other on, on, on public radio stations that God has given us for the gospel, on public TV stations. You see, come to my church. It is better than the other. My, underline my church. What? May the Lord have mercy upon us. But look at Paul. Look at Paul. He's saying, don't kill yourself. All of us are here. At that point, he says, the Lord that has intervened in this situation will surely take care of us. You see that? So this is the point. In um, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 uh, that is the last verse, he says there are three things, one, faith, two, hope, and three, love. But the greatest of them all is one, love. If you have faith and we offer our bodies to be given, to be burnt, you know, but we don't have love, then the Bible says we are nothing. May the Lord have mercy. I personally need help in that area. 
the church needs help in that area. We need help in that area. May the Lord help us to love more. And um, the best way to do it is by focusing on Christ, like he says in his word in John 15, 12, when he says there is no greater love than this, than a man laying down his life for his friends. May the Lord, um, you know, permeate our inside and release his love out of us. Father, bless us even today as we submit to you in the revival and correct us wherever we've gone wrong. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed, believed, and trusted. Amen. God bless you as we put this into um, practice.